welcome to this edition of Tech on Fire with Blaze the Podcast. Today we're going to be looking at a couple of different things that are new on Microsoft Azure. And then for our main story, we're going to be looking at Teams and Slack, and then how you can better adapt to working from home in this new reality that is now on us. But first, let's get into what's new on Microsoft Azure. Not a whole lot this week made in terms of announcements on Azure, but there's a few things that I do want to highlight. And that is the first, that private link is now available for a couple of different databases in the two U.S. government regions. So that would be a private link for MariaDB, private link for MySQL, and private link for PostgreSQL. Now, if you're not familiar with private link, what it allows you to do is basically have a private endpoint on an Azure VNet so that these platform as a service offerings will show up as a IP that can be reached across a private connection to an Azure VNet, such as a VPN or an express route. And you don't have to go outside of your encrypted tunnels to access these resources, which historically have required that you have to do some scheme like that in order to access that data. A second announcement that was made that I think is pretty exciting is now that Azure Blob Storage has indexing in preview. So what this allows you to do is have key value tag attributes that on the blobs themselves. And then it gives you an API that you can call through whatever the API might be, be it Node.js or through the HTTP endpoints that are providing REST APIs or any of the other SDKs that are out there. And then you can do find by blob tags, and then that will allow you to filter the data in your blob storage accounts and look it up by other things other than just the name or things like that. So this is a very nice feature added to blob storage. It's in preview right now, so I don't know when that will GA, but hopefully soon so that we can start writing applications to take advantage of that. And the third announcement that I want to highlight here is that Azure has partnered with VMware to provide a first party solution from VMware on Azure. And this will allow for better integration between Azure and VMware infrastructure on premise so that there can be uh, seamless, more seamless migrations and uh, without the need of new tooling and new applications for the operations of these more hybrid environments that we are seeing emerge as the cloud matures and goes forward. So this is real exciting news for anybody that is going to consider moving to Azure, but still wants to maintain some kind of on-premise data center with a connection between them. For the main story today, I wanted to take a look at Microsoft Teams, and I wanted to take a look at it because Microsoft Teams has become a critical piece of infrastructure for a number of teams that previously did collaboration and worked together in co-located environments. But now that coronavirus and COVID-19 has caused a number of people to have to work from home, they are now having to use software like Teams and Slack, and they are forced to figure out how to make this work and how to work together using these kinds of things. I've been doing this for a number of years, and the reason I have been doing it for a number of years is because I work remotely with all of my customers. I work from home on a day-to-day basis, so I'm constantly on the phone with people using a variety of different softwares, not just Microsoft Teams, but I use Slack, I use Skype, I use a number of different pieces of software to do my job and interact with people. And these softwares are really good at what they do, and particularly Microsoft Teams, and its primary competitor Slack, and they offer a number of features that really do make collaborating with other people very easy to do. 
Now, Microsoft Teams and software like it really tried to combine some of the best features of a number of other software uh, pieces that into a single environment that allows you to work together. So prior to software like Teams, we had things like message boards and instant messaging, and we had uh, a voice over IP conferencing software, we had video conferencing software, and we had meeting notes and all of these different kinds of software were all over the place. So there was no integration between something like say SharePoint and uh, a video conferencing software like Skype, wherein you could have all of the notes and all the chat in line with one another, all the file shares and everything that went on on a day-to-day -day basis in a single thread. Rather, you had to go check this email address, check this message board, go find something out on this file share, and, and then have to kind of aggregate all that together. And it really created a lot of confusion and a lot of extra work. So in response to that, something like Microsoft Teams came out and tried to combine the ability to have persistent uh, chat sessions and, and in line with that, have the ability to do meetings and have the ability to share files and collaborate on those files, as well as the ability to do voice calls and a number of other features that made collaboration across a geographically dispersed team much easier. Microsoft Teams was announced on March 4th, 2016. Now that's fairly new in the Microsoft space, considering that Microsoft is now a 45 year old company and has produced the likes of Microsoft DOS, Windows, and multiple versions and multiple iterations, uh, Microsoft Office, and a number of other pieces of software that are out there that have become the mainstay of Microsoft business. Now, Microsoft Teams, though, it came out as a response to an internal discussion on whether or not Microsoft should acquire a, or a piece of software and incorporate that into the Microsoft ecosystem or just make their own. Now, originally, Microsoft was putting in a bed to buy Slack for $8 billion, and that was more or less shot down by Bill Gates, who instead said that they should make improvements on Skype for Business. Now, Skype for Business was Microsoft's first attempt at a enterprise class messaging software that included things like teleconferencing and chat, but it lacked many other features like persistent chats, uh, like threads and channels that you can have inside of Teams. It was mostly just for messaging and not so much for the collaboration effort that Teams provide. So what Teams provided then was a, essentially an iteration of the teleconferencing and instant messaging, but added those kinds of features like channels and persistent chat and easily easy collaboration among teams and among a myriad of other features that were included in teams or have been included in teams since that time. And since that time, Microsoft has really encouraged businesses to not use Skype for Business anymore and migrate to Teams. And it has been bundling Teams with Microsoft Office as a result of that. After Microsoft announced that it would be developing its own collaboration software, Slack ran a full page ad in the New York Times. And in that advertisement, they were doing a tongue in cheek letter from Slack to Microsoft offering some friendly advice to Microsoft on how to make a piece of software that was friendly, easy to use among a myriad of other things. In the conclusion of this tongue in cheek letter, Slack writes, so welcome Microsoft to the revolution. We're glad you're going to be helping us define a new product category. We admire many of your achievements and we know you'll be worthy competition. We're sure you're going to come up with a couple of new ideas on your own and we'll be right there ready. 
So this, in a way, was a friendly way of acknowledging Microsoft's competition in this new category of software that Slack had been a pioneer in, and they are welcoming the competition from Microsoft. Since its inception, Microsoft Teams has been a part of the Office 365 platform and has been a bundled offer with the O365 platform. So you could download it, install it if you had an O365 subscription and it was primarily marketed that way. But in July of 2018, Microsoft announced a free version of it, but it was somewhat more limited than the paid version that came with Office 365, including the number of users who could be on the call and the amount of storage available to teams that were using the free product. When it was originally launched though, Microsoft Teams was really kind of a niche player inside of the Microsoft ecosystem even. O365 has uh, 250 million users and within the context of that user base, about 25 million users were using Teams. So a small subset of the entire Office 365 user base had adopted Teams on a daily day-to-day day -day basis as part of their messaging and collaboration suite. Now, coronavirus and COVID-19 have certainly caused a number of people to adopt O365 and adopt Microsoft Teams and has substantially increased that number from the original 25 million to about 44 million. And Microsoft has seen record number of users as since that time. On March 19th, 2020, Microsoft did announce that record number was that 44 million daily users as part of the response to the coronavirus. And Microsoft Teams has also clocked 2.7 billion meeting minutes on April 14th. So they are seeing record number of users, not in just terms of daily users, but as many people are going to this as a principal way of doing meetings, they have seen a huge surge in the number of minutes that are being used within the context of Microsoft Teams as well. Microsoft Teams, though, is not, not unique in the, the surge of users on a daily basis and the surge of meeting minutes as a result of coronavirus and COVID-19. We have certainly seen that in other software similar to Microsoft's own offering. Slack has seen an increase. Google's offering has seen an increase. Uh, Third-party software like Zoom have seen a dramatic increase in the number of users. So all in all, the number of people that are going to online meetings for just simple things like having a conversation with your friends and family, we have seen these very things happen within the context of this entire space that is emerging for collaboration, uh, for conferencing, and for doing these kinds of day-to-day -day tasks that would used to be done in person but are going more online as we continue to see the stay-at-home orders extended or we see these more phased approaches as people are allowed to go back to work and these kinds of things. Interestingly enough, though, Slack seems to have changed its tune in how it sees Microsoft and Microsoft's teams in terms of competition since it originally took out that advertisement in the New York Times back in 2016. Stuart Butterfield, who is the CEO of Slack in an interview on CNBC, did talk about Microsoft Teams and the analysis that he gave, I thought was kind of interesting. And here's a soundbite from that where he talks specifically about Microsoft Teams and its relationship to Slack. What we've seen over the last couple of months is that um, Teams is not a competitor to Slack. I mean, they talk about the product, they never mention um, the fundamentals that Slack does. And 
It's been three plus years at this point that they've been bundling it, giving it away for free, talking about us. Um, and over that time, we've grown our entire enterprise business. All of our grid customers, all of our customers with more than $100,000 in revenue have come up during that time. So I think there's this perpetual question, um, which is at this point a little puzzling for us, um, that at some point Microsoft's just going to kill us. Now, while Slack originally did acknowledge Microsoft as a competitor, it seems like they may have changed their tune on that. In that interview, uh, Stuart Butterfield goes on to talk about some of the numbers as it relates to the surge in numbers of Slack, as well as the surge in numbers of Teams, and talking about how both continue to grow and how both are continuing uh, to develop in their own particular space. And what he doesn't seem to think is that Microsoft is ultimately going to be the death of Slack, and he sees no reason to think that is the case. I think that Stuart Butterfield might have a point there. And, and it's not so much that there is going to be one platform that emerges as the ultimate triumph or who's going to be first. Rather, it's going to be a entire industry that is birthed out of this and Slack and Microsoft Teams and others like it will all play a piece of that and there will be competition between them. But it won't be so much that where there is a direct competition between Teams, Slack and Office, the, rather they're going to be rather serving their own ecosystems and they're all going to be serving their own customers and whatever niche they end up serving. And certainly in response to this growth that has been brought on by COVID-19 and the coronavirus, I think that we're going to see a fundamental shift in the way that businesses perceive and relate to remote work, maybe not on a full-time basis, but they will be more open to the possibility of remote work for people that can do this. Now, not all jobs can be remote, but for the ones that are able to work from home or work remotely, Slack and Teams and other software like it are going to play a major part in that. So the takeaway from this is I wanted to offer some practical advice for folks that might be trying to figure out how to do this work from home thing. I've been doing it for a number of years now where I collaborate with my customers on a regular basis using many of these softwares. I've used Slack, I've used Teams, I've used Skype, I've used WebEx, I've used a number of other pieces of software that allow me to communicate in person with these people over a large distance. I've had customers in places like India, the United Kingdom, uh, California, and some of them have been you know, down the street, depending on where they are. And in some cases, we've had people from multiple continents on a single meeting. We were able to collaborate and do things together, share desktops, share files, talk to one another, uh, do these kinds of collaborative work in a dispersed environment through products like Teams. So here are some of my tips for doing this kind of work. First, get a good quality microphone. Having good quality audio is absolutely essential uh, to having a good online meeting experience. You've probably been on online meetings where you couldn't hear somebody or their uh, environment was real echoey or their audio quality was just poor. And that's usually because they don't have a good microphone setup. Now in a pinch, a microphone built into a laptop can get you by, and that might work for an occasional meeting. But if you're going to be doing remote work and you're going to be doing it on a regular basis, having a microphone is absolutely essential to that. And you can get a headset that's got a built-in microphone that can put the microphone close to your mouth. And so you'll have good, clear audio that way. So anything from Logitech, 
Kodak would be a good bet there. If you're looking for an even better microphone, uh, Yeti uh, makes quality microphones. I use a Yeti Blue, which is a high-end microphone that is used for developing podcasts and developing video content. And I also use it for developing this particular podcast as well as my day-to-day meetings. And so I use it in conjunction with a, a remote camera. Now, a camera is a secondary device. It doesn't have to be as good as the microphone, but I think the microphone is absolutely essential. And if you want to get a better camera, you can do that. It's not going to be a make or break deal, but a microphone is absolutely essential to having a good online experience when you're talking to people uh, in a remote location. The second piece of advice I would give to people that are getting into remote work is find a good dedicated workspace, get a good desk and get a comfortable chair, uh, invest in good hardware, like get a comfortable keyboard and mouse. Don't just rely on your laptop. Make it as much like you would have at your office that you have in whatever workplace you might be, where you might have multiple monitors, a good keyboard, uh, a good mouse, a comfortable chair to sit in, lots of desk space. And you can maybe even make it better than what you have in your office because it's your space in your home. In my case, I have a large desk with lots of computers on it that I use for different tasks that I do. And it's a dedicated room in my home. Maybe you can't do that, but maybe you can dedicate a corner of a room that you can use for an office. And in that case, you may want to shut the door when you're working and then have a nice quiet workspace that is uh, free from the distractions of your home so that you can actually focus on your work and do it in a way that is comfortable. When I first started doing this, one of the first things I did is went out and bought a really nice chair and I don't regret that. It's an executive style chair with a high back that's very comfortable to use. I've been using it for years now and it makes my work a lot more comfortable. I started off with a small desk but I have since got a very large desk and it makes working at home a lot easier. I've invested in multiple monitors so I can have plenty of screen real estate uh, so it's much like uh, I would have if I was working in an office doing development work. I would want multiple screens rather than having a small laptop screen. I would want multiple, a large monitor so that I can do development work or work on virtual machines, work on videos, work on whatever it is I'm working on uh, in the tasks that I'm doing at that moment. A third piece of advice I would give to people getting into remote work would be to get a good, reliable internet connection and then have a backup. I'll explain what I mean by backup in just a second. A good, reliable internet connection should come by way of an ISP available in your area. And if you've had an internet connection in this area for any number of years, you'll generally know what the reliability of that internet service provider is. I have a spectrum in my area, and so far it's it's been very reliable. I've been very pleased with the service and it has given me very few problems over the years. Before I lived in the current area where I lived, I had Verizon of Vios, which was fiber to the home, which I can't say uh, enough about that. It was incredibly reliable. The speeds were always good. The connection quality was always good. I never had any issues with that. Spectrum has also been like that. So I consider both of these options to be very reliable, uh, good internet connections that don't necessarily break the bank. However, if you live in a place where it's constantly going down or you constantly have issues, then you might want to consider getting a business class connection to your home, which you can do if you can justify the business 
that you need for that connection. You simply just call up the ISP. And with a business class connection, you typically get priority bandwidth on the network and you get better customer service when there is a problem. And it does provide you a better experience when you're dealing with it. But currently my home setup with my standard residential connection works just fine for what I'm doing. And I really have no need for anything beyond that. Now, if you have a residential connection, inevitably it's going to go down because these don't have the same uh, quality of service that you might have with an enterprise class connection. And for that reason, you might need to have a backup connection. And a backup connection doesn't mean you go out and get a second ISP. You can do that. I mean, you could get DSL and cable and have them in your home. But by that, I mean something like a phone service, like what I do with my phone is I am able to tether my laptop to my phone. Now, I use this when I work remotely away from my home or away from my uh, primary place of work occasionally for that. But in the times where my internet service provider has gone down for you know the 15 or 20 or 30 minutes that uh, it has gone down, I've been easy. It's been easy for me to hop onto my tethered phone and then use that and get me by until my ISP comes back online, which usually is no more than an hour or half an hour. And then it comes back up and I can switch back to my primary connection. And this allows me to have uninterrupted work or maybe an interruption of maybe five minutes versus hours of downtime where I might be waiting for my internet service provider to come back up. Another piece of advice that I would give to folks that are getting into remote work is to take advantage of the added time to your day where you're not commuting. Now, this is really a huge boon for the remote work industry. Before I started working from home, I had a 30 to 35 minute drive every day to work and from work. So anywhere between an hour and an hour and then 15 minutes, I was spending on the road every day. When I started working from home, I got that time back and I was able to spend more and more time with my, my girls who are at a young age now. So I actually have a lot of time in the afternoon where I'm not commuting, commuting that I can spend hanging out with my little girls and playing with them. And that's precious time that I would not otherwise have if I was working uh, another job that required me to go into an office every morning and return from that every evening. So I really value that time. And it's certainly an advantage of working from home. In fact, I've probably had other opportunities that I could have taken, but I didn't simply because I, I like the having the remote work because it does allow me to have that extra time with my girls. It's particularly in this time of their life where they do spend a lot more time at home and they're not off at band practice or soccer practice practice or whatever it is they do in the evening when they get older, when they're not going to be spending time with daddy right now, though, they do spend a lot of time with daddy. And I want to value that time with my girls while I am able to. And I really think that not commuting has played a big part in that. A last piece of advice that I would have for people getting into the work from home uh, in movement and doing this more regularly is have clear boundaries between work and home. I already mentioned having a dedicated workspace and that's part of it. But another piece is having clear boundaries on time that you're at work and time that you're not at work. It's easy to get these confused, especially if you're at the same physical presence and you're allowing the people in your residence to come into your workspace on a regular basis and interrupt your work. Or if you're constantly interrupting that time where you're not quote at work with work activities when you're not working. And that might be uh, that home time that you have in the evenings or on the weekends. It's easy to go work in some cases and having that work life interfere with your work when you're at home. So having clear office hours is 
part of that. So you can set a hey from the time that I go to work in the morning to the time I get off in the evening that is reserved for work. And I'm not going to do anything that is home related during those hours and vice versa. If you're at home, even though you're in the same physical location, don't use those off hours to do work. It's important to make that distinction so that you don't end up becoming a workaholic or that you don't end up neglecting your work responsibilities for things that you might have going on at home and those don't bleed into one another. Now, work-life balance when you are working from home does become a lot more flexible in that respect, but at the same time, it can also become problematic depending on how you approach it. For me, I set fairly strict boundaries on when I go to work and when I get off. And occasionally I do have to have meetings because some of my customers aren't in the same time zone, say they're in India. And I make sure that I make that known to the people that I live with, my daughter, my wife, and that they know that I am working in that time. But usually that's not a big deal because it doesn't happen that often. And even so, I try not to make it a regular habit of doing that. And I try not to make it a constant part of my day-to-day routine uh, where I have uh, interference with my regular work as well as interference with my home life. So there you have it, the rise of Microsoft Teams and some practical advice on how to work from home from Blaze, who has been doing this for a while now. In some future episodes of Tech on Fire with Blaze, we're going to be doing what I'm calling tech autopsies where I'm going to be looking at some technology that is from yesteryear and how it came about and then ultimately what killed it and then talk about why it happened and then look at what are some of the takeaways from those tech autopsies and what we can learn in retrospection when we look at some of these technologies. 